I'm Teresa Steger from the Principal PLN Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and I've got a powerful one for you today. I'm talking with Rick Snyder, the author of Decisive Intuition, Use Your Gut Instincts to Make Smart Business Decisions. You're going to love this. It's all about listening to those inner voices that we sometimes ignore and don't pay attention to and helping to release that inner creative in us. You're going to love this. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Rick Snyder is the founder and CEO of Invisible Edge, an international consulting firm that builds high-performance environments in major, mid-size, and emerging businesses. He leads the Invisible Edge coaches in training companies and teams to build intuitive skills and translate them into business plans and company cultures that result in more effective communication, engagement, profitability, and innovative success. His breakthrough strategies have been implemented by executives and businesses in Europe, Canada, Asia, Africa, and America. Rick holds an MA in psychology and has previously worked in the healthcare, tourism, and travel, and training spaces. He has launched four businesses and travels extensively between California and Europe for work and leisure and to help people access their intuitive skills for decision-making on a global scale. Rick, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hello, and Stephen, so great to be back here with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me, and it's it's so good to have you back on the podcast. I mean, we talked almost exactly one year ago in early 2018, which I think is funny. It's like, wow, that just kind of, where did that go? And it was on episode 185, and and uh, so that's so cool, because here I am at 235 now, so I'm <laughs> kind of nice. But uh, uh, not, you know, not sure where that time went, but so what I'd like to do is uh, start with this from the opening of your book because you've got a new book out, and the book is called Decisive Intuition, Use Your Gut Instincts to Make Smart Business Decisions. In the opening line of the introduction, you ask, have you ever had an experience during which you were given a clear, distinct message from inside? Talk about why you started this way. Yeah, so right away, um, I want to engage with the reader in a very personal way and not just be have an academic book that's very philosophical only, uh, but something that we can all relate to. And I find that the best ways that we teach and learn are often when we tell stories and when we interact directly with each other. And so all my chapters basically start with a vignette of real people who are using their intuitive decision-making in their organizations. Um, but there's also another reason I started that way. And that's basically um, so often right away, we're all getting these messages internally all the time throughout the day. But A, do we listen to that? B, what do we do with it? And C, do we trust and, and validate? Is it valid for us? Or do we just dismiss it and override those inner senses, messages, and what have you that we get throughout the day? That's awesome. And you know, what's interesting is that we get, I, I love the, the whole thing about we get this internal message happening. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's, 
we have to decide whether to listen to this voice and uh, and where it's coming from and all that. And you know, in education, um, there's lots of decisions that we have to make in a day. And sometimes, whether you're a classroom teacher, whether you're a building administrator or a superintendent or whatever, you're, you're kind of coming and going rather quickly. And uh, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of th- thought to give. And what's funny is that your insides are are speaking loudly if we'll listen to them. <laughs> so I think this fits well. Is my point. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's such a great. Um, it's just a great point to make there because what I try to do in the book is also distinguish how do you um, how do you actually mark what is the voice of your inner guidance and your intuition versus your inner critic or the other voices in the room, if you will, that might be distracting, that might be coming from some internalized authority or internalized conditioning or messaging that we've all gotten from the past. And so how do we start to suss out what is the voice of my intuition versus the voice of my own critic, for example? That's excellent. The, uh, you know, and by the way, I want to make sure that I mentioned something because you, you started talking about it just a second ago, because I'm, I'm going to want to get into those stories that you tell because you do. It's, it's awesome. I mean, you have these uh, stories that are at the beginning of each chapter, and that is, um, that is such a cool device that you use in, in the book. So, you know, did you get feedback that said that this would be a good way of, you know, doing that? I mean, just, or, or is it just something you like to do? Or, I mean, kind of, kind of talk a little bit about, you know, where the idea for the stories came from. You know, I think, so I started to write this manuscript uh, probably a year, two years ago at this point. And, you know, I, you know, I was trugging along and just, you know, writing my own philosophical meanderings about intuition and, my background in psychology and just my in, my curiosity about the human mindset and why we do the things we do. But I realized that I have my own frame around intuition. But what actually made the book come alive is when I started interviewing other leaders and how they use intuition in their organizations. And, and that's when the book really came alive. And so I, it felt just, you know, intuitively right to include those personal vignettes in my book and get whole other takes of real people in how they listen, trust, and act on their intuitive senses, or sometimes when they don't and what the consequences are. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because those stories really, I mean, it, it makes, you have these sections that read like uh, like novels, <laughs> like you know, you're you're just kind of sucked into the action there, and then you explain what the point is. And I I love that though. That's that's just such an awesome tool, and you do a great job with it. The uh, thank you. So it, it, let's go ahead and delve into the book a little bit. In, in chapter yeah. one, you talk about the three dimensions of intuition. Could you talk about this? And by the way, my favorite is the vibe detector. <laughs> okay. Yes. So what came to me in writing this book also is that there's not just one kind of intuition, um, but I did find a way to categorize it into three major dimensions. So the first dimension, I call it directional intuition, and my nickname is the navigator. And so this is our decision maker. This is that internal guidance system that we all have. And when we, when we check in and feel, hey, is this the right career path for me? Yes or no? Should I admit five new students to this course? And you start to actually check in and feel with your decision maker. Um, should I teach another after school program or am I actually full in that capacity and feeling into that, right? So that's my uh, navigator because it helps me navigate my life choices. So that, so the first dimension, so the first dimension is between me and me, me and my inner compass. The second dimension is between me and you. This is the interpersonal domain or dimension or dimension. 
And so this is really, we call that social intuition. And then the nickname that you mentioned, the vibe detector. So it's literally, am I, I'm building my vibe detector to detect the vibes of my classroom, of if I'm having a one-on-one -on -one with a parent um, or a, a colleague, it could be a colleague or my principal or whoever. It's my ability to read out in real time what's happening with nonverbal communication, what's happening with the energetics and emotions in the room, what's happening with group dynamics. What's can I listen to the conversation that we're not having? That's all developing our social intuition, which is applicable in so many different capacities. So that's the second dimension. The third one I call informational intuition or the integrator. So we've got the navigator, the vibe detector, and the integrator. And yes, someday I want to create some t-shirts with this. <laughs> you need to. <laughs> Little superhero t-shirts. Yes. <clears throat> but, but the third one is about integrating all the data around us to make better decisions. And so it's, it's uh, self to environment. So we have self to self, self to other, and then self to environment, where we're really opening up to the whole data set around us. And that might involve pattern recognition. It, it's developed through our experience and getting to know our craft and how we can actually make better decisions when we open up to all of the information that's around us that might not just be about people and interpersonal dynamics. It could be about timing and the seasonality of something and all these other factors. This is so awesome. I, I, I cannot tell you how much this fits with what, uh, because whether, like in a classroom setting, we have interactions with kids and there's any number of things that can be happening there. And, um, you know, for example, they left their report on the bus, but we don't know that. <laughs> and because this is later in the day and it's really messed up their day all along. So they come into our class and, and for whatever reason, it's upset them. And we, we should get that feeling, but we don't. And then something happens in the class and we've now stepped into a different world, whether it's anger, angst, or, or even just, ups, you know, nice makeup word here, upsetness. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you've got something else happening. And, you know, the same thing with interacting, whether you're in, in the building with parents or, uh, or, you know, with teachers or other administrators or other peers, you just never I know. And I think those, those three, um, types of intuition, like as you've labeled, I think it explains it very well, and I think that it uh, it kind of lays a nice map there for us to be able to follow. Yeah, and I think, think it about. also opens up the conversation of what is intuition, because it gives us also another way that we can relate to certain aspects and, and take more, give ourselves more permission of where we might already be doing this, right? right? Where we might already have some skills in social dynamics and reading out what's happening in the classroom. Because I bet a lot of teachers listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about, where right away they can tell the temperament of you know one of their students because they have they've built that that um, experience over time that relationship, and so how amazing is that when right away you have it you you can just get a sense from a micro expression from one of your students in the front row and know right away what kind of day it's going to be. Yes, very much so. That's so good. Yeah, it's funny because you you got me thinking about. Uh, um, when, uh, you know, if somebody who's married, ignoring those same things, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you come home and you want to talk about stuff and it's like, should have paid attention to whatever that expression was just a second ago. <laughs> so everyone listening to this, this applies 100% to your spousal relationships also. <laughs> nice. 110%. <laughs> so imagine if you start building these skills, it actually deepens relationship. It deepens connection. Um, you know, one of my favorite sayings that I find myself saying a lot is when you can sense and own the disconnect, 
it puts you back in connection. So if I'm with my spouse or um, a partner or a friend or a colleague or whoever it might be, um, and there's something happening in the space, there's an elephant in the room, but no one's naming it. Right. And everyone's pretending on top of it, which is what happens in a lot of relationships out there, that it's actually going to kill the aliveness and kill the possibility and the intimacy. And so the more that we can take ownership and say, hey, I'm feeling kind of distant from you right now, what's happening? And even just that simple act of naming that thing that usually we don't often name, it actually puts us back in connection. That's cool because that it, it, you can see that at work, and you know if that is if you're paying attention, <laughs> you know, just instead of just trodden all over whatever the the elephant is in the room and just moving right along. But imagine if you're a teacher right now and you're about to do a lesson, but you can tell something's off with the class, and do you just kind of chug along and go right with the lesson and power through, which a lot of us do? Or do you actually pause? Do you say, hey, where are you guys at right now? Are you with me? Are you bored? Are you hungry? Like, what's happening? Yeah, and all- right away, I guarantee you, that's going to incite aliveness and, and authenticity. Oh, it really is. Because that's, you know, it's one of those things where you, suddenly you realize that the class isn't getting it or following you. <laughs> And you, exactly. and, and you look at him and you go, just like you said, I've, I've heard colleagues say something like that, like, all right, wait a second. Now, that's where we're, what's going on here? You guys look like, you know, and just like you said, it kind of plays out that way where a lot of times when you do make recognition that they're like confused or there's a, they're not following or something like this, um, the, uh, the, the, it does create all of a sudden a discussion where, oh, you know, like a relief that you're noticing. <laughs> You know, I, it reminds me, I haven't thought of this in a long time. I once had a high school physics teacher, and he literally worked on a – he was a nuclear physicist who worked on a nuclear submarine, literally. Wow. So, I mean, this guy knows as much about physics as you could ever want to know. But he didn't know how to communicate it to the classroom in a way that was engaging. And so he had all this amazing knowledge, and we, everyone knew the guy was a genius, but he had no sense of – uh, that social intuition and how to actually make it an engaging and a live conversation in the classroom. So you have most of the class, maybe a couple kids were always, you know, alive and tuned into the conversation because they just got it. But me and most of us had a glazed look within two minutes for like the next 48 minutes of the class, like wondering, what is this guy talking about? This is a foreign language. Nice. And he, and he, but he didn't ever pick up on that. He didn't ever make a note or like, I wish he had had a little more. And I also wish on our side, one of us had spoken up more often of like, Hey, I'm not getting this at all. Or wow. Um, what are we talking about? <laughs> and so that's the possibility here when we, um, act on our intuition and actually speak the subtext that's happening in relational space. I love that. That's, you know, it's funny because I, I think if, if, People are honest with themselves. They've got to have some story like that where either they did themselves ignore the signals or, you know, they were part of a class or in a situation where just somebody's not paying attention to what's going on out there. And and it can be a little more personal than a big class. And, you know, it's funny. I, I can remember having a college professor who he would uh, start talking about something. And if the class was lost and he would change what he'd written on the board, he'd write these really extensive, this was a a calculus professor and he'd start um, changing what he was doing after he'd written all this stuff. And you'd hear this, he'd pause and you knew it was coming. You'd hear this groan from the class of, Oh no. And, you know, and he'd erase everything. And you're like, okay, I wasn't following the first time and you made a mistake in the middle of it. <laughs> so, right. 
anyway, yeah, that was there was no connection between the class and that professor. <laughs> exactly. The uh, exactly. So let's let's talk about chapter two. It's titled "The Five Obstacles to Intuition," which is this is one of the things I think is neat because you're you're starting to talk about you know these you know the, these different aspects of intuition. Well, part of it is that there are obstacles to it, which I think is really cool. It, it, I don't know if cool is the right word. It's probably more like, oops, <laughs> um, but uh, recognize those some of those obstacles. At the beginning of this chapter, you have a quotation from Steve Jobs that I love, and it goes like this. Don't let the noise of others' opinion draw your own, uh, drown your own inner voice. Everything else is secondary. Let's talk about that. How does yeah. that fit? Yeah, um, he was such an advocate of listening to your your inner intelligence and not outsourcing that or overriding it or selling out on that. And I mean, look what he did. I mean, he literally <laughs> innovated a whole way of relating to computing that, and made it personal in a way that IBM was never able to do back in the day and anyone else. Yeah, right. And so he literally revitalized from design and feel and look. And it, he would always talk about an intuitive design, intuitive feel, having a relationship with your personal computer. And back then, that was a new concept, having a personal computer. Right? And now oh, it's, of course, on our, now it's on our wrist. <laughs> right. Now, now they're trying to figure out how to sell us more personal computers because we're not buying them anymore. That's a, yeah. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's, it, but it's but I love how, you know, the real change makers and the real innovators, and, and this is in every industry, uh, the, the trailblazers, the, the ones who think differently, um, they are tuning into their own inner drum and their own inner voice. And that is an amazing thing that I think too often gets uh, washed out there, uh, washed out because we're bombarded by the noise around us and, and all the entertainment and all the, you know, um, all our social media and our, you know, pings and bells of our phones and our alerts. And we're, we're constantly, I love this thing is like, are you checking your email or is your email checking you? Right. <laughs> nice. You know? And so throughout the day we're interrupted. We, we don't allow space and time to actually first get quiet and slow down and actually tune in. And that's really the whole point in my book in one way is, you know, we all have this access to our deeper intelligence, but it means we have to do some work to slow down and tune in. And when we, when we slow down, we can actually go fast. When we slow down, we can enter our deeper brain states and our subconscious mind and connect the dots faster than just humming along with our critical thinking. I like that. You know, it's interesting because that's become such a, it's becoming... Uh, more and more part of our vocabulary or part of what we talk about it, in that the idea of slowing down, disconnecting, and, uh, and and just take a deep breath and think, reflect, you know, and as a result of that, I mean, I think it's pretty cool that, you know, um, journaling has has made this huge comeback <laughs> as a thing. And uh, um, I appreciate uh, that happening because I, I like to sit with a pencil and reflect. I do better that way instead of on the computer, but hey. Mm-hmm. But that's me slowing down is my point. Yeah. And like, as you know, Steve Jobs is pointing out, there's just something so satisfying when you can really start to trust your inner signals and cues. And you can start to really feel the truth of your own messaging that you're getting, especially when you've built a reputation with yourself and you realize, wow, my gut is pretty good when it comes to this or that, but it's terrible with the stock market. 
right? right? So there might be certain parts of life where we're really on and we trust our instincts and our senses, but there might be other parts of life where, yeah, I'm not going to go hit, I'm not going to go on the jack, on the blackjack table today because my, my intuition doesn't work with that. Nice. The, right? You're right. Very much so. You know, it's funny because I think about a lot of the interactions that we've had. I, 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 um, just depending on whatever situation it is, let's, you know, as a principal, I've had interactions where you're, you're getting ready to have, you know, it's not going to be a fun meeting and, uh, um, and you just, it just gets worse the longer it takes to make the meeting make, you know, happen. <laughs> and then when everything yeah. comes together, you're just waiting for that, that moment in which it's just all going to collapse into just nothing but either yelling or something that you've got to figure out how to get out of. And, uh, um, and what's funny is just like you were saying, uh, the idea of listening to some of the messages, messages that you're being, that you're receiving. And, uh, when you get a chance of really paying attention, you might notice that you might have an opportunity in there to kind of release some of that tension. And I think that that's one of those things that happens as a result. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, I have a, a, a really relevant topic here. Like one of those outer messages that I think a lot of education and teachers face the pressure of is standardized tests. Ooh, yes. Right? Yeah. Here's a big one. Yeah. So imagine all the messaging that you get about the only thing that's valuable and, and important is getting better at standardized tests because of funding, because of all kinds of other reasons and pressures. And then if what, what happens when you have a different intuitive sense? that you actually want to educate your class and you want to deepen their, prepare them for life and deepen their knowing. And, and there's a different motivation than just standardized tests. But yet there's this outer voice and outer noise and pressure that you got to do it this way. And so there's an inherent conflict. If you get a different sense that, you know what, okay, how do we do enough of that? And I want to make sure that the kids get this also. So there's an interesting dynamic, and, and we all have different versions of those pressures, right. you know, these outer authority and voices and things we, ha where sh we should do and should and are supposed to do versus what we feel might be actually right in the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. The, uh, you know, one, of the th one of the things I want to make sure that we talk about for a second, because I focused on the, the quote by Steve Jobs, but do you want to talk about uh, one or two of those obstacles that happen to us? Uh, with yeah, I'll just name them really quick. Okay. Sure, sure. So the five obstacles in chapter two that you're referring to, uh, the first one is the rational mind. So actually our logical, rational mind gets in the way of our intuitive creativity and innovation. Um, and we could talk about why in a moment, but I'll just read these off. So okay. our rational mind gets in the way, um, our sense of our doubt and how we doubt ourselves and doubt what we feel and doubt our senses is another obstacle to our deeper intuition. Another one is busyness, which we talked about already a little bit. Yes. So when I'm always busy running around, I'm moving around all the time. I'm not letting my intuition find me. There's no space for it. Right. I'm moving around, being stimulated, entertained, um, and there's literally no room for reflection. So busyness is another obstacle, especially in today's world that we all face. Uh, another one is fear, that a, a really strong emotion and fear is one of the strongest, can hijack our whole reality, and we're literally frozen, then we don't have access to our intuitive nature when we're taken out by a strong emotion like fear, um, also you know, anxiety, or sometimes um, even overexcitement 
can take us out from that deeper intuitive space. We could talk about that in a second too. And then the last one is my ego, is my sense of self and my my own self-identification and my self-image. And so if I have an ego about being this kind of teacher or who I'm supposed to be in the class, then I'm not going to be open to what needs to happen intuitively in the moment because I'm already going to be fixated on an agenda and an idea and use my willpower to make sure that happens. And so a lot of times my willpower is going to go against the flow of life and what's hap- what really wants to happen in the moment. And anyone who's ever been in a relationship probably knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, it's funny because I, I can think in each one of those categories, each one of those, uh, um, uh, the, uh, oh my gosh, I can't uh, believe those obstacles. Obstacles. Thank you. Wow. I'm like, what the yeah. heck? Um, you know, for each one of those obstacles, it's, it's interesting because you can think of where it, it you know, it's happened to you. I, I think that it, it fits so nicely. And especially if you're made aware of it, you might start recognizing when, uh, when you are getting in the way of you and uh, making a decision. Exactly. And that's really one of the things I wanted to do because really the spine of the book is the six steps to get you in touch with your intuitive intelligence and your intuitive center. Um, but before I went there, I had to first talk about well, what gets in the way of that in the first place. So before we talk about intuition, what actually sabotages it? That's awesome because I know like the fear one is probably, I, I would think, depending on the situation, is probably one of the, to me, kind of speaks very loudly to a lot of people um, that they may not recognize where some of the others, they may not recognize that voice like the ego because <laughs> it's, it's it, it is what it is. But the fear one, probably they might be able to recognize it more because they do feel that what's going to happen if I do this, if I listen. Yeah, that's, that. I mean, fear is so crippling and Sometimes it's an amazing warning signal. I mean, I think of every emotion as feedback. And so it's like, what's the feedback telling me? You know, whether it's anxiousness, depression, uh, joy, love, uh, you know, rage, anger, whatever, whatever my alarm system is telling me, what's the feedback that I'm getting? Right. Um, and then what do I do with that? And is it actually justified in the moment or am I overreacting based on my past conditioning or wounding? And so is that, is that rope really a rope or is that a snake, <laughs> <laughs> nice. you know, yes. or is it just a piece of rope? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so we, we happen to do that with each other all the time, you know? And so that's a big one around fear is that if I'm really in a, um, activated state, then I'm not going to be in that deeper intuitive space where creativity and innovation can flourish. That's excellent. That's, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that's would interfere completely. You know, one one of the things I'd like to uh, I'm sorry. Did Oh, you know, I was just going to say one last thing about that is yes. now let's take it to organizational level. Imagine if there's a culture of fear and a culture of intimidation in your organization and the leadership or the board of the board or whoever there's a, an intimidating feeling where people don't feel like they can speak up or have a different opinion mm-hmm. or they're going to get shot down or humiliated in public. And I've seen this happen so many times in so many different organizations. I call it more that old school way of leading that right. we all have had an experience with somewhere probably. And so when you have that, one of the big problems is you're killing innovation. So people need to feel a level of safety, just like in your classroom. Your kids need to feel a level of safety and trust for them to really flourish and, and open up that creativity. That's awesome because you're so right. I mean, if you if you are afraid to take the risk to to experiment to do 
to uh, and experiment and do sometimes is just being able to say things that you know without feeling like you're going to be cut off or you know told that you're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and that happens like you said with adults too. It's not just the kid, the teacher in the classroom. It's the 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 building as a whole, the 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 system as a whole, and you know whatever that organization is that can so happen where the feeling is that yeah 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 you want to tell me to. Uh, fly like an eagle, soar like an eagle, not with the turkeys. And then uh, we all know that you're just waiting back there with a saw on the branch that we're hanging out on, on the end. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what all the talk is, is that, yeah, are you almost through that branch? Cause <laughs> I can feel it breaking. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, hey, it, in chap chapter five, Befriend Your Inner Critic is the title of it. You state this, if, I, if left unchecked, the inner critic impedes us from listening to our intuitive intelligence and thwarts our success at work more than any external factor. Could you share a little bit about uh, befriending the inner critic? Yeah, so I think this is probably in one way the biggest epidemic that we have is that we all have this little inner saboteur. <laughs> nice. this, that little voice, right, that... Yes. Um, doubts that criticizes that um, has us feel like we're too much or we're not enough and has us comparing ourselves to everyone around us. You know, and this, this inner critic is something that we all have a version of somewhere. And so what I have found, so I've, you know, I've been in, in the world of psychology for over 20 years and have been a therapist and a coach at different times in my life before I was a business coach. Um, and so I've gotten to, you know, work up close and personal with my inner critic my whole life, but also other people's too. <laughs> right. So I've had a lot of case studies here um, and test, test studies here. And so what's amazing is that if we, most people, when they have those doubts and those saboteurs that come up, they want to kill it and they want to overrun it and they want to ignore it, but, or they want to drink it away or smoke it away or get really become a workaholic and get extra busy and, kind of avoid that nagging self-critic, right? right? And none of that none of that works. You know, in fact, often what it, what happens is it ends up leaking out in some other way. And so what I have found is the best way to work with your inner critic is that you need to actually get to know it. You need to befriend it. You need to start to understand what is the wisdom behind it? Like why is it cuz usually the benefit of the inner critic is it's trying to protect me. There's something happening in my space right now in my environment where, and for some reason, and maybe it's not really what I need, but it's trying to protect me. That's the good, that's the inherent goodness of the inner critic, or it wouldn't be coming up unless it served a purpose. And so it's my job to start to understand what is that reason why it's showing up right now. If I'm doubting myself, let me give you an example. Let's say I'm about to do a public a public talk in front of my school and my inner critics hammering me like, Oh, this is going to be stupid. They're not going to receive this, blah, blah, blah. You're going to look like a fool. Right. And so um, yes. that's pretty typical. And so what is it doing? It's actually trying to help me in this way of not getting hurt or not feeling humiliated or worst case scenario and trying to keep me safe in some way. So if I can start to understand the wisdom of the inner critic, and then I can actually even have a dialogue say, hey, I get you're trying to, you know, help me here. And you're actually not. And don't worry, I got this. I got this. And, the, and you start to understand the good intention of the critic. But the whole point is you don't want your inner critic to run your show. 
but it's up to you to build that reputation with yourself. So eventually you're leading, not your critic. But too often our inner critic is leading out in front of us in our relationships, professionally, et cetera. And so how do we start to integrate the wisdom of the critic, but not let it run the show? And that's really hard to do. Yeah. And I love this because this is so much, it's so powerful because we all, I think we all can, if we're honest with ourselves, we all can attest to the idea that we've had, we've got this critic that, that talks to us and does not help us, whether it's, you know, whether it's getting out of the, you know, just to get up on that stage or to write that letter or to have the conversation or, or to take a risk and create the opportunity for incredible learning or uh, um, experimentation to take place where the, the creativeness of the, the students is tapped because you took that risk to, to bring it, uh, you know, as part of the class or whatever, um, or in the, in the leadership seat, the same sort of thing to, uh, to uh, tap into the energy of the, the staff and so forth. And, you know, if it's talking at you, it's quite possible that you take the easy way, which would be the less, you know, not, not go that route, not go the route that might bring you the negative attention or make you question whether you really have the skills to go there. And my, my sense is that if we don't learn how to make peace with our inner conflicts, we're never going to have peace in our outer conflict. Ooh, nice. We're never, never going to have peace outside of us as a society if we don't know how to first have inner peace with ourselves. This is such a powerful, it's powerful information. I mean, I, I got to, I got to tell you, Rick. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not close to ending, guys. Don't go away there. But I mean, the point is, is that this is, it's so. Your your book is very powerful and on the money, and it's easy to understand where you're going. I and I really like how how you've written this. The, uh, you know, chapter six is one of is my favorite chapter, and it's titled "Your Body Is Wiser Than Your Mind." I I especially like the part about the three brains. So what's this about? Yeah. So one of my favorite things that's been happening the last 10 years specifically has been all of the neurobiology of intuition and the research that's been coming out about the actual science of intuition and how it lights up different parts of our brain than insight and other aspects like fear and what have you. So we're actually starting to isolate this whole mysterious thing called intuition. That's something that we all have. And so one of the things that I talk about in here is what I call the three brains. And so, and this is comes from a lot of research out there. You can do your research on out there too. But basically, we have three neural networks. We have our gut brain, which literally has 500 million neurons, hmm. which is basically the size of a cat's brain that's in our gut. Wow. We have a whole uh, neural network in our heart. We have heart intelligence also. So we have gut intelligence, heart intelligence, which ha- we have about 40,000 to 120,000 neurons in our heart center which has the same neurotransmitters that are in our head brain also. And then, of course, there's the head brain, which has 86 billion neurons up here in our executive functioning center. And so my point is that we have intelligence throughout our whole body. We also have literally neuroreceptors in almost every cell of our body. So what that means is if we get out of our head and we get into our whole body experience, we can take in information faster and more immediately in, in, in a 360 way, um, that's not just waiting for our head to process it up here above our neck. And so that's what's amazing about this intuitive work. It's really a full body experience. And it's about being embodied, which gives us more access to data around us. It's so cool because, you know, it, I think so often people, you know, they make comments about how, oh, I should have listened to my, 
you know, to my brain. I should have listened to the funny feeling I had in my stomach. I should have listened yes. to whatever. And and it's funny because a lot of times, <laughs> uh, this is what, as I'm reading, I think about this. You know, you, you think, you know, I knew <laughs> that situation was not going to go well, yet I went right into it anyway. And and it's that feeling that I should have listened to whatever I should have listened to, you know. And, and if you could kind of think about what it is that was tingling or whatever, you know, it's – I. Um, it uh i i sometimes don't think we really understand until it's after the fact you know i did have a funny feeling <laughs> and uh exactly and steven if you could summarize my book in one sentence it's probably i'm helping people to listen to their intuition the first time not the sixth time nice i like that cuz that's i think that's our problem is that we go through we just hammer on and then oh wait a second if i back up the train and reflect i Back there is where it was warning me. Don't go there. <laughs> you know, don't, don't go into the swamp. Don't pick up that. That's not a rope. <laughs> you know, whatever you, that example. That. You know, and I think this is really the deeper point. Also, that we do have, we literally have an intelligence in our system, and so many of us are not paying attention, and our life will be easier, and more fulfilling, and more on purpose when we include that inner data. That's awesome. So awesome. Well, let me let's 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 use that. that that's an awesome place to to kind of take a look at uh, what you do as a whole because you have um, you have the Invisible Edge, which is your company. And so, can I get you to tell us a little bit about the company? And first, let's start by um, what are you implying with the name Invisible Edge? Yeah. So basically, um, the Invisible Edge is what happens when you imply and you develop intuitive skills with your organization. So it literally provides an invisible edge, an advantage that you can't see, touch, or smell, or taste, but it's there, and it's real. So it's, it's like the silent, um, the silent ingredient or the secret ingredient that really becomes a major advantage when your team or your organization starts to develop their intuitive intelligence and skills. And so we're a Applying this in very practical ways in the uh, the leadership space, so we do a lot of intuitive intuitive leadership development. We're actually developing intuition with leaders and managers and that type, uh, especially around decision making and how do you actually make better decisions when you include data and analytics with your inner signals and cues also and combine them together. A whole other major set is around sales. And it's that social intelligence that we just talked about, the vibe detector. We're actually doing that with salespeople to help them better read out what's happening with the person on the other side and get more relational. And of course, it has all these other implications like we've been talking about, like with your spouse. <laughs> right. Right. And right. then the last one, the, the other major area we're focusing on is innovation and helping people facilitate innovation and crack open into that um, that creative space. And I'm known, I probably shouldn't and say this yet because it's a little premature, but we're going to get to, I think, work with one of the most amazing aerospace companies out there. I'm not going to name them out of confidentiality, but just that kind of creativity where we're, we're helping them unlock um, some of the ways that they're tackling some situations so that they can truly look at innovating beyond their conscious mind and their nice. rational mind to that deeper intelligence. That's awesome. That's so cool. They, You know, it's uh, um, just to think... Uh, you know, I think sometimes we have to, and in your in your book and what you're and everything you're talking about, just makes me think about this, which is sometimes our world kind of locks us away into uh, 
just this box or whatever it is, our box of a, we got to accomplish this, we got to do this. And it's kind of, it just reminds me of a, a company that used to have this commercial a long time ago where the guy um, goes to bed and he says, got to make the donuts and, you know, and wakes up in the morning and says, got to make the donuts. And then he goes, you know, goes back, <laughs> makes the donuts and he goes back home and goes to bed and got to make the donuts, that type of thing. And we get into that world and, and, uh, and I've been that guy. You've been that guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and we we get into that world, and what and what it seems like you're doing with your company and this focus with your book is to get us to uh, to really listen to other parts of you know to help develop this other part of us so that it can help make us better leaders, um, better better uh, um, you know more productive, more creative uh, people. It's almost like if we're a whole if our whole being if our whole intelligence is a musical scale. We're only playing F sharp and B minor. <laughs> nice. And yet, there's a whole other scale out there yes. uh, to 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 make to make jazz with. Nice. I like. I like. We seem to be. We seem to be fixated on F sharp and B minor. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. That's, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, sorry, now you're giving me flashbacks of band directors. We were just, do you know any other notes? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. the recorder again? Really? I have to play the recorder? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, You know, in the, uh, who is who is the right com- com- uh, customer for Invisible Edge? Do you have a right customer? I mean, and, and maybe why? Well, my first response would be progressive and open-minded organizations that are curious and want to learn and grow. That would be my first response. But what that really looks like these days is we are targeting more towards the corporate sector and also uh, entrepreneurial startups. And so they're just so interested in innovation and change and hungry for it. And I also see that surprisingly with corporations also, there's a lot of um, revolution of what's happening in that space as well with all the tech companies out there and all all the disruptors that are changing the landscape. And so that those are the areas that we're really utilizing. But like uh, like the uh, aerospace company I was mentioning, like we're willing to work with the people who are hungry to look at bringing intuitive intelligence into their organizations. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. And it's just to be part of a team that that's being encouraged. To learn better about being more creative and listening to their inner, you know, not to the inner critic, but to the, you know, to those voices that are helping you be more, more, uh, um, you know, open to, uh, um, you know, taking those chances. I, I think that's just so, so important. And in so many of our different parts of our world, because unfortunately, lots of the messages send the opposite message, which is, you know, shut up and sit down <laughs> or be quiet. Right. And I think at the, at the end of the day, another way to say this also is we can either be in relationship with life and what's happening in real time, or we can silo up and just, you know, enter, get in our headspace and just in, get in silo space and only have our attention beyond our thoughts and our agenda and all those things. And the, I, my opinion, the world is suffering and we're suffering because we're not in relationship with our ecosystem. That's, that's our human ecosystem, our animal ecosystem, and our plant ecosystem. We're not in relationship. And so we're not listening to that bigger piece, the bigger impact. And so it's a really interesting time time where we still can make a choice on that matter. Excellent. Uh, before we, uh, we're getting close to finishing up, and one of the things I'd like to do is, can you just mention briefly the services that Invisible Edge provides, how you go about, uh, I mean, somebody wanted to, because part of it is you do speak, 
Um, that sounded dumb. I mean, you, yep. do, you do so present, but you also do training. So that's right. Yeah. So we do a lot of live workshops in these different areas around innovation and intuitive decision making and intuitive sales and what have you. Um, if you go to our website, invisible edge LLC.com, you'll see our services there. We also do, um, global executive coaching and, and things of that nature. Um, and then we're also about to launch our online platform called Intuition University. Ooh. So you could actually learn, anyone can learn remotely about how to develop their intuition and skills and then start to apply it in your organization. So we're also on the verge of just about to launch that in the next month or so. So that's also an exciting way to stay connected. And it's an easy way that everyone can get involved. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. And, and, and uh, before we go, you know, and you just mentioned just, part of it just a second ago, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? Yeah, I would say first go to invisible-edgellc.com and um, check out Decisive Intuition. Uh, you can find it wherever they sell books near you, whether it's you know Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc., the usual suspects. Nice. And then lastly, um, you can follow me on social media uh, at Rick A. Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. Excellent. And I will have links to uh, all of the above in uh, in the show notes. So all of you listening, uh, um, and Rick is on uh, um, lots of different s- social media. So I'll have you hooked up there from Instagram to, to others. So good stuff. And uh, so I got, uh, before we finish up, um, Rick, I want to ask uh, two last questions. And it goes like this. Um, first one, most people run into challenging situations at one time or another in their work. Sometimes these challenges make us want to stop and give up. What advice would you give someone to help them overcome these feelings or how do you keep yourself motivated to keep going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think first of all, it's good to keep tracking your, you know, your experience. And so you have to look at, is this a, a battle worth fighting? You know, is this something that is actually testing my character and my resolve and can I work that out? Can I work out the conflict with the people or the organization or whatever I might be having that with. And so I would first say, take a couple steps in working that out directly. But also I might say, you know, at the same time, if you keep hitting your head on the wall, is that really still the space for you? And maybe you're also getting the messaging that it's not a fit anymore. And so I think that's also important too, is to look at, at what level do you continue to engage and is it productive? Uh, and I don't the way to say this, Stephen, is there's what I call productive suffering and unproductive suffering. Okay. Productive suffering is where you're actually learning something, even though it's not easy and it's not comfortable, but you're learning it. Right. Unproductive suffering is it's actually harmful and it's not good to continue the conversation. That's good stuff. The uh, you got uh, you know it's so often I think we get uh, caught up in uh, it, it's you know. We get caught up in this world, and this voice tells us to, uh, you know, I just want to stop, <laughs> and and uh, and it's hard to keep us ourselves going. So I think that's that's good th- good thoughts there. So um, my last question is this: If you had the chance to talk with 100 brand new principals, what's one piece of advice you would want to give them about decision making? That. Don't wait until you have all the data because <laughs> that's never going to happen. And so part of being a leader is, is willing to make a decision even though you don't have all the information. And so that, that, for that reason, the more you can start to develop a relationship with yourself and learn to trust your gut sense and what you're feeling 
and including other, you know, trusted advisors and colleagues in your life, people that you respect. Um, I think all of that goes into making the best decisions possible. And so I would just say, don't forget to include your own inner experience in your decision making, and you won't regret that. Excellent advice. Well, Rick, decisive intuition, use your gut instincts to make smart business decisions is awesome. I love it. It's, it's focused on an aspect of our lives that too often we push aside and ignore, but that could be the difference between success and failure. I also appreciate you sharing with us The Invisible Edge. Thank you so much for talking with me today, and I hope that you have an amazing book launch, which it sounds like you did, and wishing you the very best in all that you do. Thank you so much. Always a blast to be here with you, and I look forward to more. Thank you for the conversation. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.